You're listening to Empowered Parenting, Real Parents, Real Stories, a podcast that inspires parents to feel courageous and confident in their parenting journey. Listen in with parent and child therapist Cindy Smolkin and Elisa Daly, Executive Director of First Foundation's Jewish Community Preschools, and meet real parents struggling with real issues. Tune in to help you and your children build resilience. Let's get connected. Welcome to Empowered Parenting, Real Parents, Real Stories. So Cindy, today's episode is such a hot topic. We are talking about limit setting. There's so many different layers to limit setting. There's like, how do you know what limits to set? And how do you deal with the consequences that come once you've set a limit for your children? Um, I know a really um, big part of this is also parent polarization. So you have two parents and they deal with limits differently. So how does that work? So it's all like, there's so much to unpack here. Uh, We're really excited um, to have a new mom with us this week named Rebecca. Rebecca has two children, um, ages 12 and eight. So let's get right into limit setting and see what she has to say. Rebecca, what a special gift for us to have you as a guest parent today. I'm so glad that you were able to join us, um, especially to talk about a fairly hot topic. Um, I know in my practice, it is always heated. It is always emotionally charged because it's a hot topic and it's the topic of, of limit setting of discipline in the household. So Rebecca, I'm going to open the floor to you and ask you, does limit setting feel tricky in your house? And can you tell me a bit about what limit setting even looks like in your house with your two kids? Sure. Well, first of all, thank you for for giving me the chance to work through this kind of issue with you. Uh, Limit setting in our house is, yes, it involves everything that you just mentioned. It involves not necessarily knowing where and how the limits should be. It involves changing goalposts, especially during the pandemic. So obviously our limits changed uh, during the pandemic because we wanted to provide some some joys and some things to look forward to, to our kids, because all of the things that we usually do like travel or, you know, restaurants or movies were taken away. Um, But limits also change in our house, depending on whether we've been an online school or um, regular school. And I mean, I I can explain that to you, but um, there's also the issue that you described. I wouldn't say necessarily that my husband and I have different limits that we want to set we have different approaches to how to enforce the limits and that can cause for sure conflict between the two of us and I would also say that my kids my daughter's eight my son is 12 they have very different approaches to limit setting I really firmly believe and I always have believed I have a brother who had kids like 10 years before me his oldest is 10 years older than mine And I always really admired the way he raised his kids. And I always felt that he, and I guess also my, for my parents, limits were really important. And I really believe in them largely for like the the most simple thing. I actually think kids like limits and like to have the feeling that there is order to their world, that there is routine, that there is structure, even though they don't know that they like it. And, um, and I, my, 
you know, when my kids were really little, I thought, you know, limits are so important because if they don't have them, if there's, if they never hear a no that stays a no, then they're always just going to whine until the no turns into a yes. And they're ultimately going to be unhappy all the time because they'll be whining and crying to get their way all the time. I think that was probably a bit too simplistic, but I do still see that they, they both do thrive when there's limits and structure. Um, but I also see that they respond very differently to limits. My eight-year-old daughter, if I, you know, seem to be getting frustrated with her or express disappointment that she's not following a limit is like, oh, well, whereas my 12-year-old son has this like inner conscience, like moral conflict where, where if, I, if I say to him, and often it's just sort of reverse psychology, if I just look at him and say, okay, forget it, do whatever you want. She'll be like, okay, see ya. And he will be like, oh my God, no, no, mama, no, no. I, I don't need that. I don't want to do whatever I want. So it's a free for all really limit setting, but I still believe it's really important. <laughs> okay, Rebecca, like, I feel like I could just let you talk and talk because like, I feel like you just said so many things and they would resonate with anyone who's listening. But I'm going to try to like break down what you said so that we could then kind of pick at the different levels. Okay. Kids like limits. That's what you said. You're so, you're so right on. And to your point, they don't know they like it, but interestingly enough, their emotional bodies know. Now they don't have that connection necessarily with their kind of logic sense and their emotional bodies to piece them together. But limits to your point are very organizing for kids. They bring, you know, if, if we had no limits and it was kind of like Lord of the Flies for kids, that creates a lot of anxiety to not know, like, are these walls firm? Will they keep me safe and well-contained? And that's what limits are. They're walls for kids, really healthy walls. So yes, it's their job to balk at them a little bit, but it's also their job to get used to them and feel soothed and comforted and organized by them. So I love how you say that because I completely agree. You know, interestingly, I think another element to the importance of limit setting is also to train our kids to learn to accept limits because they're going to have a whole whack of them as they grow up. And so imagine what would happen if we didn't set limits or if every time we tried, we flipped it on its back and turned it into a yes. Okay, well, what's that going to look like with their bosses when they're older? What's that going to look like with their perhaps college or university professors when they don't like the mark they get? How will that look in their relationships when they're older? And so the truth is we're also, even though it causes some conflict or for your son, for example, some like emotional turmoil for him, we're setting kids up for success to handle conflict and adversity better in their life. And now let's go to the other point you said where, you know, so you and your husband philosophically seem to kind of be on the same page in terms of like, what are the limits that are important to us as parents, but how do we enforce and deliver these limits is where it sounds like you guys might differ a little bit. Do you, do you feel comfortable to highlight that piece a little bit? Like when you say we, we, we might be different in how we enforce the limit. Can you describe that a little bit? Yeah. So it's, I mean, these limits will be by and large around things like, you know, what every parent is struggling with screen time. And there's, there's always the kind of um, dynamic 
and I've seen it with all my friends too, and it, it exists for us too, where one seems to be more lenient than the other. Mm-hmm. And, um, and in, in our household, the, I think the narrative is that I am more lenient. I think ultimately both of us are totally willing to make exceptions to allow for you know extra whatever screen time. I think when the limits come that there has to be, first of all, I believe there need to be warnings. So let me just use screen time as an example. So, you know, we have limits for our kids that they can have half an hour uh, in the evenings during the week and two hours on the weekends. And often, of course, it goes over that for all sorts of reasons. But I, I feel very strongly that there needs to be like, okay, bud, you've got five minutes left. And um, if my husband is in charge, he won't do that. Or um, I feel very strongly that it should just be sort of a calm, okay, that's enough now, time to stop, where um, I think he will feel that it needs to be stricter in its enforcement. And if there's any pushback, then there needs to be a kind of immediate um, countdown. And so this countdown thing, by the way, it's like, obviously when something's triggering him or frustrating him, where I'll notice that he'll get sort of like, uh, you know, okay, one, two, and it happens so fast and I start to panic. And I think this is gonna backfire. This is gonna backfire. So it's, it's, it's I feel like we have similar limits, but they often lead to conflict because of the way that we enforce them and because the dynamic that takes over in the house and so we've, we've developed some solutions, which are that one of us, if we're starting to feel stressed out, will take ourselves out of the equation and let the other parent deal with it. And by the way, that has been a real struggle too, as parents, as our children grow older, as they push our buttons inadvertently, as we react, that... Um, that the two of us can start feeling like the other is undermining, one is undermining the other. And, um, and that can lead to such, you know, boiling inner stress. Um, and so I'm working very hard on not doing that, jumping in and like, we're gonna do this more calmly, you know. Okay, so Cindy, when I listen to that, my brain goes in two different directions. So like limit setting, of course, it's so important and it has such value. And, and there's, there's so much to be said for it. And my preschool director hat goes on and, you know, we limit setting in the classroom for us is so important. And it's really important to me as a parent as well. But for me, what really goes on when I listen to that is like the emotional experience of the parent or myself really like I want you know what's important for me in this podcast is not so much to talk about the importance of limit setting but to talk about the emotional experience that the turmoil that we as parents go through when we're trying to set those limits and that's where I had a really big reaction to what she was saying um, when she talked about how her kids react differently um, to limit setting because which when she talked about um, her son's reaction about how when she gets angry and passive aggressive or even just like 
stalls and like can't stick to her limb and is like, fine, do whatever you want to do. Like the reaction that her son had, that's both my kids. It's both my kids. Okay. So let me interrupt you for one quick sec, Elisa. So like, I, I completely agree with everything that you're saying. So let's highlight it. I would say like almost every parent I meet, whether it's in my practice or in my personal life, I have never met a parent who does not buy into the notion of limit setting. I have never met a parent who doesn't think that there's value to it. And so theoretically and logically, I think we all get it. And so I think what you're pointing at is, so then why is it so hard? Like, why does the process of limit setting actually have the potential to create emotional turmoil for a parent? And I think that's kind of what you're suggesting. And so like, let's go there. Tell me more, Lisa. Like, tell me more about what you were thinking about that. So like, if I go into a situation with either of my kids and I go in calm and I go in neutrally and I go in knowing that I'm going to see it through to the end, my kids actually respond decently to limits. They do. Sometimes it's like a little harder to get there with both of them, but like most of the time they're, they are pretty good. And I think it's because there's so much compassion in our parenting that like you call it money in the bank, but that's if. And I go back to this. I say it every podcast and it's the truth. If I'm not okay, my kids are not okay. So if I go into a situation where I'm thin, I'm frustrated, I'm resentful, I'm whatever, and my kids don't respond instantly, I'll get passive aggressive. Fine. Don't do it. Like I'll give you such an example. Oh my God. It was so bad. We had a zoom birthday party for my aunt last week and my kids like we're on Zoom with my family from Winnipeg. It's this lovely thing. And my kids are sitting next to me on the couch and they're fighting with each other while we're singing my aunt happy birthday on Zoom. And I asked them to stop and they didn't stop. And so like I set a limit, like I was like, guys, honestly, like if you can't sit here, then just like, like go away. And so obviously neither of them felt comfortable going away, right? But they kept fighting. So I turned to them and I was like, get up. If you can't sit here, get away from here, get away from here. And they were like, and then like everybody on Zoom was like looking at the lunatic who was screaming at her kids. And like, I'd set this limit and expectation of like, if you can't sit here, then just leave. And neither of them thought that I would actually make them go away, but I made them go away. And then I heard both my kids crying because like I had like, humiliated them and shamed them. And they felt so bad about themselves for being sent away from the zoo. Like that had nothing to do with them. That was like, they couldn't, had I just gone in with a bit of like, guys, I know it's like, who wants to be on zoom again? And they're like compassionate and mirrored and blah, 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 blah. My kids would have been okay, but nope. Sent them away with guilt and shame. And and the truth is even, you know, because I, I want to like, I want to make sure that everybody feels like we're actually talking about human beings and not computer programmed parents. <laughs> You know, because even if after you asked them once to settle down, they didn't, even had you turned around with a slightly firmer voice, you know, boys, enough is enough, settle down now or you're leaving. Even then, if they, if you ended up having to send them off and they were crying, they would be crying for better reason than because you screamed at them and shamed them, right? They'd be crying because like you scolded them and like that, but that all is normal. But it's when no, they didn't cry because I scolded them. They cried because that's how they get when when I get passive aggressive about a limit. I didn't give them the opportunity. They needed just one more opportunity, and they would have stopped. My kids. I mean, your kids were crying because of the enormity of what you ended up putting on them. Oh right. You 
got so dysregulated in like a millisecond and you gave that dysregulation to them instead of a secondary, maybe firmer scold where they either would have just settled because they're like, okay, mommy really means business or they would have left and maybe be upset or not. And so the, the whole point of this whole discussion and, and Rebecca was identifying it is we know limit setting is important. We know our kids may not like it. And yet we get so strung out about it sometimes because we lose our capacity to regulate our own selves in those moments, either when we're thin or when we get a bit of pushback um, that, it, that it discombobulates us. And so we end up joining our kids in the dysregulation instead of maintaining ourselves as right. captain of the ship. And the limit is no longer anywhere in sight. It's just like, cra- it's just like crazy people. Like, it's just a bunch of crazy people who are angry. And like, you don't even remember what limit you were trying to set. Cause I wouldn't even let them come back to the zoom. <laughs> Such a good point. So the message gets lost. Yes. The message in the end gets lost. Yes. Totally lost. Totally lost. I feel like with toddlers, it can be easier. Like, I feel like with like really little kids, it can be easier. It's more clean. Like you didn't clean up your toys. You had a tantrum. Okay. You're done your tantrum. Let's go clean up your toys. It's like A plus B equals C. It's like more formulaic, but once your kids get older and it's more complex limits and like things get bigger and they can go away and you can send them away. I feel like that's when you can get into this vortex. And I'm learning that with, as my kids get, get older. hundred percent. And part of that is our expectations. With toddler and little kids, there are things we expect, and so we hold it. But for some reason, as our kids get older, we expect them to respond better or more appropriately to our limits, which is bad on us, because I don't know why we think that. And then we get frustrated when they don't. But the bottom line is, kids have kid brains, and they, they have emotionally dysregulated moments when they don't get their way, like for a significant amount of their growing up time. But, but anyway, so I think we kind of captured this notion of like, we all recognize limit setting is important, but boy, oh boy, like forget about how it can trigger kids. We know that, but it triggers us in such a big way. You know, the other piece that Rebecca highlighted is this notion of like how sometimes it can feel like even though her and her husband are on the same page about what the limits are, the way they go about managing and enforcing those limits can sometimes lead to some tension. So why don't we jump back in and hear what Rebecca has to say more on that piece, because that is one in my practice that comes up all the time, 100% in houses where there are uh, two parents parenting. Absolutely, and I see it in the school all the time. So let's get into it. Can you talk a little bit, uh, and I I hope this won't feel too sensitive to you or, or worrisome in case your husband listens to this, we talked about your emotional experience when your kids have reactions to your limit setting. Can I ask you what your emotional experience is like when you're observing your husband having a stuck moment with one of your kids? Uh, yeah, I can describe it as panic. Almost it's some kind of panic. I feel my heart starting to race. Um, I am usually don't have the wherewithal to tell myself, okay, you're panicking now. This is um, an emotional reaction that you just have to ride out. I usually don't ride it out and uh, will um, will interject, although I'm getting better at that. So yeah, I mean, as an example, if I, if I am seeing what I think is a too strict or too harsh form of 
limit setting or of enforcing a limit. If I feel that the that that my husband is um, enforcing something in even just the, a tone that I don't like, um, I feel panic inside and I feel the strong need to step in. So I can also understand when my husband says to me, you know, I feel like I'm the bad cop. I feel like you step in and as if you think you need to protect him from me, you really think you need to protect him from me. And you know what? Of course I don't. I think he's the best dad. I, I want him to be with him all the time. I, I fundamentally know that he's an incredibly wonderful, kind, loving, amazing role model father in every way, shape or form. I could like ball just thinking about it. So what is it that in that moment, I act like I have to protect my kid and it always backfires. Like, why is my impulse so counterproductive? You know, what is, what is wrong with the way that humans are evolving that are my impulse to interject, to step in always has the opposite effect, which is that my kid suddenly feels like his parents are fighting because of him. Um, my, my husband feels that he's been undermined and that I'm, you know, telling him he's parenting poorly. All of it is wrong. So, I, but I still have the impulse, right? And I know I shouldn't do it. And whenever I don't do it, like engage in the brilliant experiment when I'm not feeling stressed out, when I'm calm, when I've gone for a run, where I'm in a good mood, it, it like, 100% always is better if I don't step in. Rebecca, thank you so much for joining. You have so much wisdom. You're so articulate and you're so, you're so honest with your experiences um, and, and you use such beautiful words to describe them. And so I just thank you so much for, for being our guest today. Oh my gosh, my pleasure. I get so much out of this. It could go on for days for me, honestly. <laughs> So Cindy, listening to Rebecca talk so passionately and so genuinely about, you know, the, the challenges that her and her husband have, I actually like so many of the topics that we talk about, like hit me at my insides. Um, and this is one where personally, like Rob and I are really, and I feel very grateful, we're very aligned in our parenting. And I think that it's not something that I experience. Um, but I see like how many people experience it, the parenting clinics that we do through the school, parental polarization is such a common theme. And I could hear the pain and like how difficult it is just in Rebecca's voice. It's like, you feel so bad for them because they actually both want the same things, but getting there is so hard for them. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I would say if I had to think of like the top three topics that come out in my practice, uh, parental polarization is definitely one of them. And it's it's so often exactly what you just said, Elisa. It's parents essentially wanting the exact same thing for their kids, but the way they go about it can be different. And part of that is because they're two separate human beings and they tick differently. Their emotional loading is differently. Um, in some, their gender is different. And so there's so many elements that make the job of parenting different uh, for each. Um, so one of the things that I try to do often in my practice is I help parents who are in kind of co-parenting relationships uh, or parenting together is to help them appreciate just that fact, the idea of like, you guys want the same things. And, and we have to appreciate and be compassionate to the fact that we're going to go at it differently. 
and on some level to help parents to be less critical of what their partner is doing, but to more so A, be compassionate to like, like I sometimes get stuck in parenting because I get emotionally charged and emotionally triggered. Well, of course my partner who's human is gonna have the same experience. And so to be compassionate when my partner might not be getting it right, what would happen if I were compassionate to their experience and to the stress that they're under rather than being critical? Yeah. And I think that one of the things I think because Rob and I started working with you when Noah was so little that like, even though we, Ben was almost five, like what we started learning the importance of compassion towards each other, like everything you taught us to do with Noah, we now do with each other. And like, don't get me wrong. Sometimes Rob's like overly compassionate to me and it drives me crazy, but generally speaking, it's like, it's the point of entry to each other of understanding where the other person is coming from. And I think it's such a powerful tool, like for parents who, who to put yourself in, cause that's what like raw empathy is, right? It's like putting yourself in your that's person's shoes and you yeah. don't have to agree with it. You don't have to, ha- you don't have to share. It's like, you don't have to agree with your toddler's need to have the blue cup. You don't have to agree with your husband's way of doing things, but you have to be compassionate to, to why they want it and where they are. And so I think that if anybody listening to this can take something away from it, I think even though I don't have polarization over limit setting in my marriage, I know that compassion is such a good way of finding your way to the other person in your marriage. Elisa, I mean, like you're, you're right on. And what, what I will often say to parents once I'm working with them for a while and, and parental polarization is usually something that unfolds through the evolution of the therapy. It's not often something parents come to right off the bat. And so we start off by teaching compassion to children and parents will often say, God, that makes so much sense. It's just so hard to do. But then when we evolve and move into, okay, now we're going to learn how to be compassionate to our spouse. Wow. Is spousal compassion ever hard to do? What a funny place for us to get stingy. Um, But we do. Except to your point, Lisa, compassion creates softness. It creates communication. Uh, It creates alignment, actually. And so what a beautiful thing to bring into our spousal or partner's relationships and not reserve it just for kids. Yeah, no, but I think it's something that you have to make a conscious effort to like, to, to do. It's not, you can, you have to reflect on it and think about, make an effort. It's like homework, but like marriage. So counterintuitive. Right. But marriage is work. So it's like worth putting in the work to do it so that those experiences, because you could hear like the pain in Rebecca, like how that's so challenging for her. And And in her husband, right? And her husband too, who feels like, oh my God, do you need to protect me from our child? Like, am I a monster? Right. So the pain goes both ways. Totally. 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 This is such a, I feel like we could talk about this for hours. <laughs> it's, it's such a, it's, it really is. It's such a powerful topic. Um, and particularly now that parents are spending so much time together in their houses in this pandemic, there's so much time at home and there's totally. so much room for polarization. People aren't coming home from work at eight o'clock anymore. Right. We're just yep. living on top of each other. So good point. very yeah. good point. if you're listening to this, that's your homework, I guess. Compassion. It's the message of our podcast. Thank you for joining us this week. Um, I really encourage you to listen to us next week. We're going to be talking about another really, I think, profound topic. And certainly for me personally is the idea of sacrifice as a parent and what we sacrifice in our lives professionally and otherwise 
um, to parent and for our kids and for our families. And I think anybody listening as a parent can relate to this topic. So we'll look forward to connecting with you next week. Thanks for listening. <laughs>